Women Abroad, be inspired by women who find their true selves living abroad. For the 28th episode of Women Abroad, my guest today is Gogo Sheng, a beautiful woman, a passionate learner, a bold consultant that specializes in curating intentional and memorable customer experiences for the luxury clientele. Based in Hong Kong and Luxembourg, she is developing her international activities, constantly striving to bridge the cultural differences between East and West. Hello, Gogo. Hi, Francois. Good morning. Good morning. I'm very pleased to host you on my podcast today, and I thank you for accepting my invitation. I said good morning, but it's more good afternoon for you. <laughs> as you are in China, in Hong Kong. In this interview, um, I, you will have the opportunity to share your experience as a woman working in a very international business environment. Today, we will explore cultural diversity and inclusion from a business perspective. So you were born in China? That's correct. At the age of 13, you moved with your family to Hong Kong, where you currently live and work. And you started your career in international organizations and traveled intensively for your work. You launched your own business one year ago. So I let you know, introduce yourself in more detail. Well, Gogo, the floor is yours. Thank you, Francoise, um, for having me today. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Gogo. Um, as Francoise mentioned, I was born in China and, and I immigrated to Hong Kong when I was 12 years old. And um, yeah, so been embarking this woman's well I would say a girl abroad you know starting from that age and well there's been quite a lot of cultural and I would say environmental adaptations and I'm sure we can talk more about that since um and then uh career-wise career -wise, I spent 18 years in luxury industry uh, to help um businesses like Louis Vuitton, Burberry, Farfetch, um, DFS to build million dollar turnover loyalty programs. So basically I help um, the business to look at how to cultivate customer loyalty um, through building intentional customer journey, customer proposition and elevating clientele and team. And by doing that, it really, um, inspires me to think about the passion of what I what else what kind of impact I want to make in the in a world and I have embarked on my coaching development journey a few years ago with coactive and process communication model um and it, it comes with covid and I left my job in 2001 and and after that I you know, built my own consultancy business, GoGoChain Consulting. And um, the, the vision of my business is to help um, business get better in curating outstanding client experience and cultivating enduring relationships internally and externally. And I'm a passionate traveler and I'm a passionate learner. And um, at the moment, I live in between Luxembourg and Hong Kong. So that's me in a nutshell, Francoise. We will dig into cultural adjustment and diversity. And China is a huge country with its own diversity of people, with local colors, lights, behaviors, customs, food, living and working ways, and of course, habitat. What changed for you when you first moved to Hong Kong? In what part of China were you born? 
I was born in a very small town in the southern part of China. So um, the province is called Fujian province and the town that I was born in is called Yongchun. So it's a very small town with like 20,000 population. And when I first came to Hong Kong, um, it was 6.5 million uh, of population in Hong Kong. So for me, the change is drastic. And I would say it's everything. So from the language that I speak, I used to speak um, Mandarin in China and it was Cantonese in Hong Kong to um, learning. So I, you know, I was, we didn't have to learn English until secondary school, but in Hong Kong, the children uh, start learning English in kindergarten. So I got a huge gap of language capability to fill in. Um, cultural difference, um, as in, you know, we didn't, a, a very simple example, I I was only exposed to the concept of supermarket in Hong Kong. We didn't have an open kind of store concept in our small town. So it's just one of the many, many examples I discovered. And I was like, wow, it's constantly a lot of wow, you know, what a skyscraper place, what a metropolitan city. So um, I constantly have the crave to understand and to settle in and to be accepted. Didn't you feel a little lost in this very big environment? Yeah, I well, I felt pretty lost. I I remember the first summer when I came, I cried almost every day because I didn't have any friends here, and I was I could only rely on writing letters to exchange with my friends back in my hometown to have that kind of support system that I need. I I it was very hard for me to get a school to accept me at that time because I didn't speak any English and I was supposed to go into they call it secondary one here so it's like um you, you got six years of primary and you get into secondary school that's where I supposed to be in but because of the missing gap of English I couldn't get accepted into that and it's took us I think my mom and I have probably been through 90% of all the primary schools in Hong Kong and finally there was this principal of this primary school um, he said to me, obviously, there's a big gap. Um, I understand your eagerness and I want to give you a chance. So why don't you, you know, buy some books, test books, learn them over the next two months. And you come back and take an examination with us in September. And if you pass it, I let you come to my school. So I was like, I'm constantly I need to prove myself. So over that um, summer holiday, I study every day um, English, Cantonese, um, traditional Chinese writing, which is different to where we used to have, which is simplified Chinese writing. Um, and, and I'm very grateful for the period that I've been through because without that period, I certainly wouldn't have get into a school and I wouldn't be uh, become who I am today. It, it definitely impacted the person you are today as you said but and now you are fully well settled well adjusted in Hong Kong environment how working in a very international environment shaped your value system I found it so fascinating to learn um, new culture and new language when I first came to Hong Kong it has always been an important criteria a career-wise to work in an international organization that I 
I want to do that. And I remember actually I first my first job, I went into a local cosmetic house as the management trainee. And when I mean local, it means um, you know, the language that's spoken in the company, it's only Cantonese and you know, everything is written in Chinese. And just within two months, I was like, mm, this is not inspiring enough. So I, I left the job and then I went to join uh, DFS, which is very international. And it has been like that ever since the companies that I joined. Um, I think what shaped my value system, it's like twofold. I think one, it's like, um, I, you know, it has to be so flexible, like continue to be adaptable and, and be flexible in understanding the context the culture dynamics um and to settle in and to you know like be able to blend in uh, i think that's one um the other part of it it's like being an asian woman in all the international organizations where there's more i would say different kind of nationalities like how do i view my credibility like I feel like you know because also like I think English is not our first language to start with and also in Asian and I think Chinese culture like we we didn't we wasn't taught to sort of voice our opinions as um I would say vocal or as bold as some other nationalities and I'm being quite generic here um but I think like really like be bold and courageous in speaking what matters. Um, it's important because without, if I'm not doing it, someone else would and my voice wouldn't get across. And the more senior it becomes in my career ladder, the more important that component is because I'm not just representing myself. I'm representing a region. I'm representing a department. I'm representing some visions and belief that um, my team is hoping me to channel through. So I think there's quite a lot of value system of mine that's been shaped in an international organization. Mm -hmm. You have this community mind, more versus individualistic way of, of forcing your way. So you represent a community, you represent China. So it's channeling, as you say, it's, it's very important for you to represent them in a, in a proper way. That's, that's very interesting. And I, I'm coming back to the way you described that it was not that easy for you as a woman to speak up your voice. Is it connected to the way you were brought up as a, as a young girl? Yeah, um, you know, in our education system back then in China, you weren't very encouraged to speak like in the classroom uh, context, right? Like when you have no, most of the time you just sit and listen what the teachers um, are telling you. And very rarely, like you, you raise your hand and if you get pointed at, you tell what you want to say. So it's like, it's very... Um, I would say it's quite um, obedient in a way. And we wouldn't be like, hey, challenging the status quo. Like, I don't think this is right. Like, that's quite um, daring. Like, I have never done that, rarely, <laughs> like when I was in China. So um, versus an international environment, like, it's very common. So, yeah. 
you need to force your way well to to raise your hand more spontaneously <laughs> if yeah, I use exactly. the metaphor <laughs> and when there it's an, a different opinion it's okay to stick with your own opinion and that also wasn't very common in my culture back then because you were taught to be very respectful you thought that your senior or someone who works longer um, in the environment should have a bigger voice. Um, but you know, it is it wasn't like that anymore, right? In a, and especially in a in the corporate culture. Um, so I think that's also like some something different that I have experienced and I've um adapted into. So the older you get, the more experience you get and uh, the more credibility you gain so it's harder to, you mean that it's harder for younger people to express their voice and to to have a chance to be listened to yeah and like you know as an example like some of those um you know senior leaders meetings like you would you would often hear a manager speaking his or her point of view which is quite like um inspiring and it was like wow but the rest of the room they might be they are all directors and vps and that's great because um these these more sort of relatively more junior person he or she get to share his opinions or her opinions quite confidently and that's encouraged and that was help to grow his com or her confidence along the uh, the career and i hope that would also shape his or her leadership style and to encourage more of that in in his or her team is it still the case in china today does it still depend on age and on experience gained for people to be listened to no i think that's well china is big right and i can't Uh, generalized China I'm sure they are still more sort of a traditional part of it and it depends on the family the organization whether it's more of a sort of um, a China owned company versus an international company with an entity or a branch in China I think that would also be different but I have to say you know China has evolved drastically um, over the years and they are nowadays, I would say, one of the most adaptive and fast-paced um, nation in regards to work, in regards to luxury, in regards to client experience evolution and, and beyond. And what major cultural differences did you notice between China and other Asian countries you represented? And Europe or the Western world uh, in the way they do business together? I know it's quite hard to generalize, but are there some trends you notice? Yeah, and, and this is more for my own observation, right? Um, it's it's uh, It can be different uh, in different people's perspective. I see that um, China, like, China, the people in China, they would appreciate um, action rather than talk or conversation. So, I mean, make them attend a lot of events is not, uh, or a lot of meetings or conference calls will normally perceived as a waste of time. Like they like to know what needs to be done and roll their sleeves and get things done. 
um, versus in the Europe uh, or, you know, like not just Europe, I think in an international organization, there's a lot of stakeholder management. Like there's a lot of, um, we try to align everyone's preferences. And, and in China, I think there's still more like, okay, what's what's my boss? What's my boss believes? And let's get that done. So I think still the hierarchy, it's more obvious. The action, they, they appreciate speed. And they appreciate understanding and they, they would want the rest of the world to know that China is China. And that can go either way. Like, it's true that um, because China is so unique and the scale of business is so big, normally it demands its own attention in many ways. But the extreme of it, it could also be challenging for an international business because then you would have the China leaders keep telling you this is not going to work. You know, what, what you propose or what has worked in other part of the world is not relevant to China. And I think that could be true in many ways. And what, for me, I, I would do differently as, you know, I normally base in Hong Kong and representing China too. And I would tell the international organization, my corporate counterparts back as in what would work. So I wouldn't just shut them down, but I would say, I understand why you're doing this. Uh, from my understanding, this is the why and the how it could be tweaked like that in China. So providing them with alternatives will be a better way to collaborate. Otherwise, in a lot of organizations, there's normally this gap you know of understanding or collaboration between China and rest of the world just because how different is China and so I'll pause here because I think I talk a lot about China even before I go into the other Asian countries no that of course of course that's that's very interesting and so you are bridging you try to bridge cultural differences and to to help tweak as you say and you we try to find a solution and say that's that's possible don't close the door but try to adjust a solution to what would fit in in chinese market i i like the word that you use once we're bridging because i think that's i feel like i've been doing that most of my career because i'm being perceived by my um corporate or you know, like global counterparts is someone that speaks their language very well, but also understands China nuance. And I'm being perceived by my China team as I also speak their language and um, someone that been through what they have been through. So at the most, I try to let each side to see the challenges from um, from the other side and how do we, you know, like land on common ground as possible, as much as possible. You are now a specialist in, in luxury brands. And do you think that luxury do luxury brands enough pay attention to the local needs that are really specific to the Asian and let's say to the Chinese market? The luxury brands have definitely evolved and paid more attention over the last few years to um, cater to Asia markets and definitely China market needs. Um, things like they would, you know, build 
a separate team in China just to cater everything that's China specific because China is so different. And in regards to what could be done to improve, I think there's a few things that I observe. Um, some needs to be improved from the global side, uh, while some needs to be improved from the China side. Um, if I look at the global side first, I, I think often um, as a senior leader based in China, our our working hours has not been very much respected. You know, like just just like you know, when Europe starts the day around our four or five in PM in the afternoon, and if an international organization evolves involves US as well, we normally in Asia starts our working uh, hours like a lot longer, like finish a lot later of the day. And I remember in my previous corporate job. I, Two, at least two or even three, four nights out of the five working dates, I have late night calls. And when I say late night, it's like start to, the last call, it's at eight o'clock in the evening or nine o'clock in the evening. So I think the work-life balance, not be mindful of the Asia working. And I think the pace, like um, Asia teams tend to, have a faster pace and I think it's it's good in a way so how um would global be willing to delegate um the markets to as long as the sort of vision the strategies aligned to that them really run at their pace so we don't lose time doing a lot of alignment meetings um and with China I think it's like um understanding also, because especially I think with the this political sensitivity of Hong Kong and Macau being special administrative regions of China, but the clients in Hong Kong and Macau are so different to the mainland China. Like, even though this is a country, like, how do we still make sure that, you know, the market specifics are taken into consideration um, for the China leaders? I think that's when I, because I'm based in Hong Kong most of the time, and what I constantly been hearing from the team here, from the customer here, it's like, oh, that initiative is relevant for China mainland, but not right for Hong Kong. You know, as the time evolves, the cities, the individual specifics are more prominent. So we we cannot say China as one type of customer. And we certainly cannot say China mainland and Hong Kong are the same type of customer. Being able to really speak to the local team and hearing what's the, the market specifics, even under one country, and that applies the same in Singapore, um, you know, with the Indonesian, uh, Indonesian in Singapore, the Chinese in Singapore, the Malaysians in Singapore, like it's so much cultural neurons that needs to be respected. Yes. And do you think these global brands you're working with are aware of this variety of nuances inside China in terms of cultural needs and in terms of behaviors, in terms, yes, of habits? Mm, I think some are certainly more aware than the others, like um, some really you know top luxury houses that I, I work for like they they understand so like they actually 
um, the team that looks after Hong Kong in certain departments are different to the team that looks after mainland China. And even in mainland China, like they start to look at city level specific initiatives, be it client events, pop-up concepts, like, and they tailor even like um, the the catering recipes accordingly. So they know say in Chengdu or like that region, like people love spice. So right, so how do you take that into consideration? Even sort of the the inspiration of the catering for certain event is similar, but you do certain twist um to make it more um city relevant. But I I send, if I look at a bigger picture of luxury industry. I think there's certainly still a lot more to be done. I truly believe that different parts of the world we can gain from one another if we take the best assets of every country. If you consider China, the different cultural colors in the country, what do you think would be an asset? What China can bring to the world of the global brands? How can they contribute to create advancement and, and further development in the global for the global and luxury brands? A- apart from the business part, I mean it's a huge market, but I mean in the people, culture of the country. How can how can they contribute? Yeah, I, I like your question, Francoise. And I think there's that tangible and there's that more of uh, intangible contributions that comes to my mind. I think the tangible part is like, you know, Chinese are everywhere. Like they are international too, right? Like we have Chinese clients um, in the UK, in Dubai and um, everywhere literally. So by understanding China market, the cultures and paying attention to not just China as one, but like the specific neurons of Chinese from different parts of China would help international business to also grow the business in rest of the world uh, simply because the impact of Chinese um, globally. Um, So I think that's one um, more tangible. I think the, the, intangible and I think um also tied to what you mentioned briefly like um about like if we being empathetic if we are genuinely open-minded um you know we, we will certainly do great things together and I think um a lot of times because of the specifics the culture um difference in China like it can be challenging for both sides like the the Chinese leaders and the global leaders to be empathetic with each other and that's when the coaching skills comes in like be curious um really listen not just listen to get it takes it's like listen to understand what's the unsaid message you know, between a team and and I think um because I you know at the end of the day it's not a nation, it's beyond that, it's a human to a human, right? Exactly. If, Building trust is at this at this price. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's harder because of so much cultural difference and expectation difference. 
Um, but if we see each other as one human to the other and put down, there's a lot of um, corporate prides and, and politics. Like if we are able to put that aside, um, I think we will achieve more. And as individuals, we will also enjoy more along the process. That's very insightful. <laughs> are, are women, do you think, well accepted in management positions in luxury brands? Yeah, indeed. I think um, some of my most inspiring leaders, they are all women. Not all, like a lot of them are women in luxury brands. Like I remember um, my mentor, like uh, Christina Albert, uh, she was um, the director of private clients at that time in Burberry. She looks after royal family. She was that she still it's an inspiration to me today and she taught me um the importance of leadership um sophistication fashion style but in a human and approachable way and i remember for a long time i was i want to be someone like her and actually she is also the person that inspired me to build my own consultancy business And she supported me in a formation of my consultant uh, on consultancy offer and uh, even my website development. So, and there's more bef- um, beyond Christina. There's Karen in Burberry. There's Tufa in Louis Vuitton. Jamie in Farfetch. Yeah, they're all um, very brilliant women, and they are well accepted in luxury brands. And, and in China, are there a lot of women leaders in the luxury mm. brands? Mm. Indeed, indeed. Um, some of the very top luxury houses, um, the senior leaders are, are female. And I think, um, you know, still like there's, you know, some French luxury houses, they, they prefer to have the most senior person i.e the president to be a male french you know they are still that but i think it's um more and more balanced nowadays both from a gender and nationality perspective and how do you really on network as a woman in in, in china yeah i think um What's great is that, you know, in Hong Kong and majority of the big cities in China, such as uh, Shanghai, Beijing, Chengdu, there's a lot of um, international organizations um, or, or partnership events that as women that we will be able to meet each other, other networks and and to build rapport and support each other. So um, I have built amazing network in Hong Kong through you know this kind of organization such as quintessentially um you know your clubs um chambers of commerce um hospitality groups such as golden keys like and beyond like um I have to say that um a lot of international sort of networking culture is also very prominent um, in Asia and in China. And let's move on now to, to your personal development as, as a woman working in a very international uh, environment. How did, what did you learn about yourself in these international organizations? I have 
quickly um, realized that uh, my role is a breach. I think that's uh, um, one thing that um, we talked about earlier on. And it's important to have people like me to do that in international organization, bridging the East and West, both for the internal, like as in the employee um, development, um, opinion alignment, but also from the client experience expectation alignment perspective and I, I find that I'm pretty good at it like I enjoy doing that even though sometimes it's a lot of effort and it can uh, feel tiring um, but I get satisfaction out of it um, because um, I'm, I'm quite sensitive to culture and, and people's need um, I also find that um you know, just similar to my, you know, uh, when I first came to Hong Kong and it it looks like quite um, scary from the surface. So like Hong Kong is quite scary to a girl from a small town. And I think a luxury international organization can look quite scary to some people from the outside. If you haven't been part of it, it's actually not as scary as it sounds like. And there will certainly be people that can be a bit snob if I <laughs> can be very prominent and sees themselves like, you know, like we are, you know, this brand. And But majority of the people are not. So if you are confident in self, I think it's, it's a place to practice self-confidence for sure and stakeholder management. And if you have that capability and if you're willing to work hard and contribute your your thoughts your hours and your effort your your you will be recognized and like like myself I was one of the um I was like one of the sort of luckier ones I, my career grows quite um quickly over a very short period of time I become a director of private clients for Burberry below 30 years old and um, for the departments that I haven't done before, you know, I was the first one to build a private client business for Burberry um, in Asia and also in the industry. And I haven't done that. No one has done it. I was given the opportunity. So I think the other thing to add on is like um, be an entrepreneur, like even though it's a uh, a lot of international organizations has got certain um, status quo, the playbook, but you can still bring the entrepreneurial mindset in and make an impact. Prior to this interview, you told me something that struck my attention. Everything is possible. Did you have a particular catalytic experience that made you start believing that everything can be possible? Yeah, it was a funny story that I had. So it was uh, when I was in my primary six, uh, actually after that, it was my, I think, um, secondary one or two. So I studied actually three years of English by then. And there is this English storytelling competition uh, in my school. And I was like, I want to give it a go. <laughs> and every class weekend, um, you know, there's two representatives to be sent to um, do this like a school competition. And I got selected and I was like super lucky. So I was like, I'm going to cho I'm going to choose this very difficult um, story so that I can stand out. So I, I'm not sure whether Francois, you know, this story book called Mr. Chatterbox. Yes. <laughs> 
So I chose that, a Mr. Chatterbox. And it's really like, speaks really fast for those that haven't heard of Mr. Chatterbox, like Google it out. Like it's, it's someone that talks a lot and very fast and like, you know, like, so I was like, okay. So then I remember I spent so much time just listening uh, in a in a tape, like how this Mr. Chatterbox talks and I mimic and I really practice like nonstop. And then I actually won that storytelling competition in English. And I was like, wow, like I can do this, you know, even just my three years of English. You went over you what you saw to be your limit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think I still remember that story very vividly. And it's in and I'm grateful that it's in such an early time of my life. I had that experience. It plants that seed of yeah you know, nothing is impossible. If I want it, like I can get it. I just need to work harder than everyone else and pretend and and then show that effortless appearance to people like, actually, you know, I just practice a little bit, like <laughs> a little bit cheeky from the outside. Yeah. So probably you were also supported by your parents in going over your limits. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for you know, raising that I, I'm very blessed to have um, a very um, loving family, my my mom and father, like, and my mom, especially, we have a very close relationship. And she's always a champion. She would say it's like, there's nothing you cannot do. And she believes in me. And, um, and yeah, I think that's uh, also like, when there are times I really find a struggle, there's always a small voice inside me saying that I don't want to let my mom down. I don't want to let my parents down because they actually were working in a government before they came to Hong Kong and some other countries too, like a government job, it's a stable job and you can retire at the age of 55 with a very stable pension and all that. But they let that go to come to Hong Kong for me, um, for, a, you know, for my exposure and prospect, and I will forever be grateful. Otherwise, I wouldn't have experienced what I experienced today. And it became an extraordinary opportunity for you to grow as a person and as a professional. Exactly. Mm, you. <laughs> <laughs> and would you like to share your vision for your future? Or do you see yourself in the next five to, to ten years? I don't know. What's short or medium term means for you? I haven't thought about 10. I think next three to five, it's something that I have in mind. So I have only started my consulting business and I really want to help more businesses um, to put in more effort in human interactions. And what I say that is because I work in all the luxury houses and all of the luxury houses have very beautiful hardware so the hardwares are the products the store um the visual merchandising the ad campaigns like they are built by millions and millions of dollars um to set it up the hardware um but what i believe that truly makes a difference um and a lasting impression is the software it's the human interaction and that means how the client devices how the client facing team interacts with the end consumers you can have the most beautiful store however if the client devices are not being genuine not 
aware of his or her impact on on the consumers, not willing to help or follow through, the client wouldn't have a great experience. And on a very contrary, like with our travels, like we go to coffee shops in Bangkok in a small lane, and you wouldn't call that a million dollar shop because it's simple, but the service is so genuine and the coffee tastes delicious. And I would tell 10 people about that coffee shop and I want them to grow. So I think sometimes um, business underestimate the impact of focusing on the people, the human being. And, you know, I provide luxury consultancy. I provide consultancy on loyalty. Um, I want the non-luxury brands to look at customer loyalty too, because you don't need million dollar to build customer loyalty. You just need to focus more on being intentional, train your staff, hire the right people that are passionate about other human beings and and make that a habit. I think that will build loyalty. And, And I think in the next three to five years, if I can make more impact by helping luxury and non luxury brands to pay attention to this and and to build a sustainable business and create more happy customer experiences, I will call it a very um, very um, rewarding journey for myself. Would you see yourself live abroad, or would you like to stay in Hong Kong? You know, my partner Andrew and I, we love this concept of having two homes now. And and thanks to Luxembourg, I get to know Hansoise, this beautiful human being. Um, I love living abroad, and but I also love home. So who says that we can't have both, right? So um, I think building my own consultancy, and of which my partner also has his own, allows us to travel. And what we have, you know, reached to a consensus is like we can spend a few months in Luxembourg and a few more months in Hong Kong, and then we might travel to Thailand and Bali for some time too. Um, so I I will continue to travel and and while I also will not forget to come back and visit my, my beloved friends and family here in Hong Kong. And finally, we are slowly coming to the end of our, of our interview, Gogo. This is a recurring question I like to ask to the women I interview. I ask them if they have some advice to share with other women who contemplate living and are working abroad. And in your case, um, what advice would you like to give to a Chinese woman who has never been exposed to living or working abroad and who has just started to work in an international organization? What would you tell her that could help her to bridge cultural differences between China and other continents, depending where the international organization is, is based? So I will start by sharing with this person that don't worry so much about language or um, if you like, you can't express as well. Like we Asian and Chinese sometimes in specific, we kind of shy away and say that our English is not so good and maybe we shouldn't speak that much. And actually it's not true. I think language is a tool to communicate. As long as the message is get across, you have done the right job. You have done a great job. And I always encourage my team in China to speak up. So speak up your opinion. 
you know, don't worry about the language. You have so much to offer. You have so much expertise that the rest of the world would appreciate uh, to know. So just be, you know, like really be confident um, to to be truly who you are. And I think um, also it's on the on the flip side of the con. It's like be curious of why certain ideas wasn't as acceptable, acceptive receptive you know by the international parts you know what's their concern and how how could you help to address that um there's in a in a big organization there's a lot of gray area is never black or white so someone who is able to you know um i would say um understand that and be able to navigate the gray you will have more fun because you don't set a box for yourself or not the other party. So if you have want to have more fun, if you want to, you know, really broaden your horizon and, and meet different people, get curious and be empathetic and, and be confident in yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Coco. It was really insightful. And I like your way you combine the businesswoman with the global citizen mind. <laughs> That's. I wish you good luck and success and abundance in your life. Oh, thank you so much, Francois. It's been a pleasure to join you today. And I wish all the very best for you and your podcast and your business as well. Thank you. Thank you for following us in this episode. Because an international experience can awaken incentives and reveal new aspects in women's identities. Women Abroad is the podcast that appeals to young women everywhere. Did you like this episode? Like it and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can also rate us and review us. Would you like to share your experience abroad? Whether you are a student, an early career woman or a more experienced professional, contact me on my page women underscore abroad underscore on Instagram and women abroad on Facebook. You can also listen to the episodes on my website women-abroad-coaching.com. I wish you a great day and a bright life. Talk to you soon.